0: Thanks for listening to the River City Church podcast. To learn more about our church community and how you can be a part, visit us online at therivercitychurch.org. Good morning. It's so great to be with you, um, not only uh, here in the pulpit this morning, but also just to be part of this community. It is a wonderful community. And when we moved here, one of the biggest things we were concerned about is where are we going to be at church? And God led us here, and we have been truly, truly blessed. So it is wonderful to say River City is home for us. Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at this Explore God series, and it really has been asking a lot of tough questions. And in fact, when Pastor Damian asked if I would want to take one of these up, I looked at the topics and thought... Ouch, those are some really deep, big topics. Um, We've been asking the question, who is God? Um, What is the nature of the Christian faith? Uh, We've been looking at, where is God in the midst of suffering in our world? Uh, Is Jesus actually God? And last week, we were looking at the Bible. Is the Bible reliable? And we came down to this conclusion that the Bible is not only reliable, but it is very unique in that it tells the story of God. And so as we get to this week, this last week, we're kind of bringing this all around and asking this big, so what kind of question. If all of this really is the story about God, can I actually know God? And if I can, can I do it in a personal way? And if so, how, what does that actually look like? Now, when I say personal, I'm not talking about I know a lot about God, and he kind of inspires me. You know, we have people like that in our life, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, that we look at and say, we know about them. They inspire, inspire me. But I'm saying, do we actually have the ability to have a personal relationship with God? What does that actually look like? And in our world, we have a lot of ways that we've tried to go about this. And so whether you're still exploring this whole God thing or you feel like you've actually been on a journey with God for a very long time, I want to explore some of the ways that our minds tend to think about God and what that relationship actually looks like. Now, let me just say that for some, God really is impersonal and, in a sense, unknowable. Stephen Hawking, in a posthumous publication called Brief Answers to Big Questions, he asks this, Is the way the universe began chosen by God for reasons we can't understand? Or was it determined by a law of science? I believe the second. If you like, you can call the laws of science God, he says. But it wouldn't be a personal God that you would meet or put questions to. Albert Einstein says something rather similar. He says, I don't try to imagine a personal God. It suffices to stand in awe at the structure of the world insofar as it allows our inadequate senses to appreciate it. Now let me just say first about this, I have stood in some really amazing places. I have gone to the Grand Canyon, I have hiked up cliffs in southern Oregon overlooking the Pacific Ocean, I've hiked the Redwoods, I've been out in the open country at night and you're able to see all of the stars, I've watched meteor showers over the Gulf of Mexico, I've been in jungles in northern Thailand, at waterfalls in Kenya... And I have to say that this world actually inspires me. It is amazing. It is big. And I think sometimes when we look into this, we go, wow, this is huge. This is wonderful. But at the end of the day, I am still yearning for some sort of presence or encounter that goes beyond that. Somehow that awakens this longing in me that perhaps there is a God out there that set this in motion. Perhaps there is a God that is in control over all of this. Perhaps there is a God that somehow in the midst of all of it maybe thinks that I matter. And so for me, the idea of God being impersonal, just a law of silent science, science is not something that I find particularly compelling or comforting. But what does it mean to have a personal relationship with God? How does that relationship with God work? Now, for some of us, we think that God just exists to mess with us, right? If you want to put the theology of Calvin and Hobbes up there, do you think there's a God, Calvin asks Hobbes. <laughs> well, somebody's out to get me, right? When we pick my son up from daycare, every day we get this little daycare sheet, and at the bottom it'll say, today I enjoyed. And sometimes they'll fill in a book that he's read or some activity that they've done. And a couple weeks ago, they filled in, today I enjoyed stacking the blocks and then kicking them down. Every kid's dream, right? You stack the blocks up, and you get to smash, you get to kick. And sometimes that's how we actually view our relationship with God. He's just stacking the blocks to build our house, to build our life, only to just knock it down, right? He gives us what we don't want. He takes away what we do want. He sends us where we don't want to go. And don't you ever tell God, I am not going to do this because guess what? Murphy's Law, that is the very thing God's going to ask you to do. Why? Just because he can. He's like this puppet master that just messes with our life. And when we think of God in that way, it's not a very freeing relationship, is it? Because we're constantly thinking, "Okay, when's the shoe going to drop? When's this going to crumble? Why is God mad? What's he doing in my life? Why is he taking this away? He must not be a very loving God. And we constantly live in this fear and this worry and this struggle. For some of us, God is somebody that we need to bargain with in order to get what we most want. We've seen it in movies. We've read it in novels. Perhaps we've even done in our own life. Something has come up and we are desperate. And we say, God, if you're there, I am begging you, please, please heal my son. Please provide the rent this month. Please free me from this addiction. And if you do, here's what I promise. I promise... Right? I'm going to read the Bible every day. I promise I'm going to start tithing. I promise I'm going to start going to church. I promise I will do this if you will just that. But if that's what our relationship with God is, then he's nothing more than a lender. Because if we can just pay the right collateral, then he's going to be able to give us what we want. And it's not a very freeing relationship because you end up living in debt to God and you're constantly trying to figure out what can I give God that he needs, that he wants in order for him to actually be concerned about my life and be at work in my life. For some of us, God is a rule master. The lists of do's and don'ts are long, they're detailed, and he knows every single one. And he's following us around with his check, checklist, right? And he's working things off and just waiting to see if we get our toe out of line. And we're constantly struggling with, OK, is this the right thing to do? Is this the right thing to do? And when bad things come along, we think, maybe God's punishing me. Maybe I didn't do it well enough. And when God is simply our rule master, it is not a freeing type of relationship, because we know we're not perfect, and so it's this relationship where we're constantly falling short, and then we live in fear of God's wrath and what he's going to do to punish us because it's almost like he wants to punish us. He's just waiting for us to get out of line. Now, we don't really like a God like that, so for some of us, we go the complete opposite, right? God is all-loving to the point that he never tells us no. He never says that we've done something wrong. He never speaks an Ill, Ill word to us. He just supports us. And as long as we are true to ourselves, as long as we just do what feels good, what feels right to us, then God is going to be all loving, all affirming. And God is just this good vibe, right? He's, he's just there. He's love. You kind of sway, right? But that's not a very freeing relationship if God is just a yes God, it causes us to live these very selfish, me-centered lives. There is no true north that keeps pulling us to the center. There's nothing in that relationship that helps us to be better people. Now for some, we feel like the only way that we can know God is if we just do enough good things. We have to earn his love by doing good, And by being good. And if we can just do more good things than bad things, he'll accept us. Isn't that what we think? God should accept me because I'm a good person. And we know that we can't be perfect people. And so we tip the scale that we're good people if our good outweighs our bad. And if we do, then somehow we have earned relationship with God. Somehow we will earn his favor, his love. We will earn eternal life. But when you think about a relationship like that, it's not very freeing either. Have you thought what it feels like to have to earn a relationship? In the movie Saving Private Ryan, it tells the story of Captain John Miller, who is on a mission with a group of soldiers to find Private Ryan. And the goal is find Private Ryan and send him home. And when you get to this last battle scene of the movie you find that Captain Miller has just sacrificed his own life for Private Ryan. And as he lays there dying, his final words to Private Ryan are, earn this. And so you get to the closing scene and you've got Private Ryan who's now an old man and he and his family have come back to a national cemetery and he has found the grave marker for Captain Miller. And He leaves his family behind and he steps up to this grave marker and you see him standing there staring at the marker and he's remembering everything that it took to get him home. And suddenly the weight of it hits him and he falls down on his knees before the grave marker and he says, every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I have tried to live my life the best I could. I hope it was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I have earned what all of you have done for me. And then he stands back up, and his wife steps up next to him, and he turns to her in desperation and almost begging, and he says, Tell me that I've lived a good life. Tell me that I'm a good man. For some of us, and perhaps especially for those of us who are believers, we act as if Jesus' final words in the cross were not, it is finished, but rather earn this. And then we live our lives out of guilt, out of obligation, out of the debt of this plea. We're always bound because we're worrying whether we're enough, whether what we're doing is enough. And there's never any peace or security. I hope it's enough, God. I hope in your eyes, maybe it was enough but we're never quite sure. These are just some of the ways that we try to imagine what this relationship with God is supposed to be. And I have to say, if we stood back for just a second and we put those same characteristics on our human friendships, we would be in a lot of counseling because we would be trying to figure out why are friendships so screwed up. True friends are not out to get you. True friends don't have to be bargained with to do good things for you. True friends aren't following you around with this clipboard of all the things that you've done wrong and just trying to help you stay in line. True friends don't avoid difficult conversations that help you become better people. True friends don't require you to earn their friendship. And the good news this morning is that God doesn't require that either. I want to read a story from the book of Luke. We find it in Luke chapter 13. Get it pulled open here. We find that Jesus is teaching on a Sabbath day. And it says this On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by his spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, and she could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward, and he said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up, and she praised God. But the religious leaders, what does it say about him? It says he was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he says to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answers, um, let's see here. Sorry, I'm trying to do NIV off of the screen, and I've got NLT right here. So let me just close that off. Uh, Let's see here. All right, so then the Lord says to him, you know what? You hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Is there one more screen? There we go. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all of the wonderful things. That he was doing. Now I love this story because it tells us some wonderful things about God and it gives us a clue as to what type of personal relationship God really wants to have with us. So first let's consider this woman, right? Luke says that she's been sick for a really long time, 18 years. I want us to kind of put that in perspective for a moment. So let me ask you, where were you 18 years ago? When I started thinking about that, it was a little troubling. I was two years out of college. I was single, living as, uh, on my own in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was working as a pastor at a church. I was completely poor, as most recent college grads are, and absolutely loving this adventure and independence of being on my own for the first time. A lot has happened in 18 years. I've had four major moves. I've had five different jobs. I've earned a graduate degree, a doctoral degree. Um, I've gotten married. I became a mom. I have sprouted many more gray hairs than I ever want to admit to. And I went from being this very carefree, uh, debt-free, 20-something-year-old, to a much more mature and much more in debt 40-something. 18 years is a long time. And this is how this woman has spent her life. She's bent over, she's in pain, she, she can't look up, she can't move freely, she's bound, she's crippled. And the first question I want to ask this morning is how much are we like this woman? We may not be physically bound, but we struggle with things that seem to have plagued us a very long time. Addiction, worry, Self-hatred, anger, dishonesty, selfishness, greed, lust, just trying to follow the rules, perfectionism. We have struggles in our family, struggles in our finances, struggles at work. And all of these things can bind us and lead us to live lives that are not as full or as free as they should be. And the truth of the matter is, there's nothing we could do about it because if we really could, we would have done it by now, but we can't. And I have to say that as we are in these struggles and we might be trying to think, God, are you even there? The thought of God being impersonal or just a law of science to me in those moments is actually rather horrifying. I need something more, but so often we think, yeah, but I've got to earn God's help. I've got to bargain for God's help. God's just waiting there to to get me, and so I've got to carry all these things, and he's trying to, to make sure that I keep my toes in line, and the ways that we've approached God is not freeing. It's not a hopeful or a helpful life, but the good news of our story is that it doesn't end with the woman or us in bondage because Luke tells us that as Jesus is teaching he sees the woman in her bondage he sees her bent over unable to get up he sees her in pain he sees her just as she is And I don't know whether it was really easy for him to spot her because she's not able to sit down like the rest. And so it's like, oh, well, she's obviously got issues. Or maybe she's so bent over that she's hard to spot. But regardless of which way it was, Luke tells us Jesus sees her. And in that moment, he stops. His agenda changes. And he knows this is her moment. Bondage is going to end. And it says Jesus sees her. And he invites her. He says, come here. Woman, come here. Jesus sees her, and he calls her to him. Something personal, something tangible. Now, let's think about it. Jesus could have just looked at her, right? Woman, you're healed. But he doesn't do that, does he? He makes it personal. He makes it tangible. He sees. He invites, and as she comes... He declares, it's over, you're done, the bondage, it's gone, you're healed. And then it says he touches her, and immediately, her back straightens, and she's healed. Now, I want you to think about the fact that Jesus actually touches her as he declares her healed, Jesus is actually working out of a Jewish context. And when you read the Old Testament where the Jews get their laws, you find a lot of stuff about holiness and unholiness, holy things and unholy things. And what the Jewish law says is when you have something that is holy, that comes into contact with something that is unholy, all the characteristics of that thing that is unholy transfers over to the things that is holy. So it becomes defiled, it becomes unclean, it becomes broken, it becomes useless. It has to be clean in order for it to actually be used again. But with Jesus, something different happens. Because he is holy, she is not. She's broken, she's bent. And yet, when he touches her, her brokenness does not transfer to him His holiness transfers to her. It changes her. It completely reforms her back. It makes her a new creation. It gives her new vision, new sight, new ability to move. And she is completely healed because he takes his status and he puts it on her. But notice what the religious leader does in the midst of this. He's known this woman for a very long time, but instead of joining her in her praise and in her thanksgiving, he decides it's teaching moment for the crowd, and he says, "mm, this is not how this works. There are six days of the week for working. You come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath." What is he really saying? This isn't how God works. There are laws in place that state work can only be done on certain days of the week, right? You have to follow the rules, and if you follow the rules, God will follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, God is not obligated to follow the rules. The religious leader sees Jesus like we have so often thought of him God will only work if we get it right. God only works when we earn it. God only works when we make the right bargain. God only works when we follow the rules. And if we do it right, he will. But if we don't, well, we get God's wrath. We get God's anger. We get God's distance. What is Jesus' response? Immediately he rebukes this leader and he sets the record straight. And he says, God's mercy and grace are not acts of work that are bound to the laws of reciprocity. Mercy and grace know no bounds. Mercy and grace are not subject to human actions. Mercy and grace aren't earned. They're not bargained for. They're not this carrot that God dangles in front of us trying to get us to play nice. Before we were ever good or holy or whole, Jesus sees us and he invites us to come so that he can touch us and he can declare us healed, whole, forgiven. God is obligated to us not because he is coerced or won over. God is obligated to us because of his own compassion and love for us. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we cleaned up, not after we looked good, not after we follow the rules, but while we were still sinners, while we were still unlovely, while we were still messed up, that is when God sees us, and that is when he sends Jesus to die for us. In 1 John 4, John tells us that God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, John says. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is love. John redefines it. It's not that we loved God. It's that he loved us first. In Titus chapter 3, Paul gives us this beautiful, comprehensive picture of what this looks like because we find ourselves bound by so many things, right? Things that we've done, things that others have done to us, things that happen to us simply because this world is broken. But we're not left in our bondage and we don't have to stay in a broken place because God is calling us toward personal relationship with him. And, And what Titus uh, chapter 3 says is that once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled by others and became slaves to many wicked desires and evil pleasures. Our lives were full of envy and evil. and We hated others. They hated us. We were bound. But God doesn't say, well, then work hard to get free. Earn forgiveness. Be more of a good person than a bad person. no. God, our Savior, showed us his kindness and love and saved us, not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins. He gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. And he declares us not guilty, not because of what we do, but because of his mercy. Kindness, and now we know that we will inherit eternal life. God is a personal God, and because of his love for us, he came into this world as Jesus. He lived like us, he faced the frustrations and the temptations and the problems that we face because he experienced them. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was betrayed. He was falsely accused, and he was put to death on a cross. But the cross wasn't just a human act of execution. The Bible tells us that dying on the cross was also a spiritual act because Jesus took all of the brokenness of the world with him into death. And three days later, when he rose from the dead, in that moment, he broke the powers of all of the wrong things in this world. And through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus sets broken things in this world right. And because of that, he invites us into relationship with him so that he can declare us not guilty. You cannot earn God's forgiveness You cannot earn his friendship. It's not something that you get by your works. It's not something that you obtain because you've bargained with God. There's nothing that you can offer God that's big enough to earn your place in his kingdom. But the good news is that God doesn't demand you to do any of that. If you simply confess Jesus is Lord, it's done. He forgives, he changes, he renews God loves us, and he loves us enough to not leave us in the status that he finds us. But I hear what's going on in your head. This sounds great. I wish I could have this, but I know me. I know how bad I really am. And there is no way I would accept me, at least not without a whole bunch of works and penance not without having to do a lot, because I am too broken. I'm too messed up. There's no way God could accept me as I am. Years ago, my grandfather was out painting the carport. Now, he was very particular about his carport. I and mean, he didn't want oil anywhere on the carport. I mean, it just had to be pristine. And so he's out putting fresh paint on everything. And he's got the white paint out, and he's working on the trim. And my grandmother was a very tiny woman. But she moved fast. And she decides Grandpa might need something to drink. And so she comes busting out of the house, not realizing that he had set the white paint can right by the door. She hits it, it flips, and white paint starts going everywhere. And she's like, (gasps) and she starts trying to figure out how to scrape this up. And my grandpa snipes at her, just get back in the house. She retreats, and my grandpa starts this process of cleaning it up. And immediately, he realizes I shouldn't have said that to her. And he repents. And he starts trying to pick this up, and he's looking at this huge, nasty blot that just messed up his beautiful carport. Now, a little while later, my grandma comes out to see if Grandpa wants something to eat for lunch. And this time, she's moving a lot slower, and she tentatively opens the door, making sure she doesn't knock any paint over. And she's expecting to see this guilty blot on the floor. But she's surprised because as my grandfather was cleaning it up, he took his brush and he reshaped the blot into a heart. And when it had dried, he stenciled in these words, the heart of this home will always be my darling wife, Virginia. Now she could have spent weeks, months, maybe years, every time she sees this blot thinking, that was the day that I made the mess. But my grandpa tampered with the evidence. He turned it into a love note, and from that point on, all she could remember was, my husband loves me. And it was a sign to everybody that entered into this house that this was a house marked by love, and that she was a woman marked by love. You know what? There are... So many things that we sincerely wish we could go back and redo. We remember the angry words, the lies, the the selfishness, the times we've fallen back into old patterns, times of betrayal, making mistakes, being paralyzed in fear and worry. And we may try to apologize. We may try to change. We may want to just run away because we remember and we're guilty. And the evidence right there is plain. And in our spirits and our relationships, our everyday life, we're bent over like this woman in bondage. And there are no works that we can do to find our way through. We can't bargain. We can't earn. We can't be good enough. But Jesus doesn't ask us to. Jesus sees. And Jesus invites. So that he can speak life over you. He can speak forgiveness over you. And he can touch you. And you can experience new life. Today, God wants a personal relationship with you. People in the video are questioning, I don't know that God can be in a personal relationship with us. I'm telling you, he can and he wants to. And through the cross, by simply accepting what Jesus has done for you, God will tamper with your evidence. He'll turn those blots into a mark of love so that everyone can see that you are marked by him. He wants to transform you into a new creation so you can experience what the fullness of a relationship with God is. He gives you his Holy Spirit to be with you, to walk with you, to comfort you, to guide you, to be ever-present with you. And he promises that he will give you new life that doesn't begin then, Later, but it's new life that begins right here in the now so that as we walk through this broken world, we can already begin to infuse it with love and joy and peace and patience. And when weird things happen in our life, things we can't explain, God is still ever-present with us and he's working things out for our good. And he gives us eternal hope for new creation, for new life, for being in relationship with him forever. So let me ask you today, where are you in this story? Do you find yourself bound, bent over, wanting desperately to be free, knowing there's nothing you can do? Do you find yourself trying to earn? Relationship with God. You've walked with Him a long time and yet you still fall back into this pattern of, I just have to do good things because He's not going to accept me. He's not going to forgive me. Do you live simply in fear of God's wrath? Do you find that I'm just going to be true to myself because that's how God is going to love me and it's empty and you want something more? Today, God wants relationship with you. and We're going to have a prayer team standing over here to the side. If you have something that you would like to pray with somebody about, we would love to do that. We're going to have Pastor Damien and Pastor Dan and others up front. If you want to talk to somebody about what does it look like to have a personal relationship with God? How do I do this thing? We would absolutely love to have that conversation with you. However it is that God is calling you today, I encourage you, respond, because he sees. He sees you right where you are. You're not hidden from him. Maybe you want to be hidden from him, but you're not. He sees you. But you know what? He's inviting. He's saying, just come. Just come. That's all it takes. Just come. And as you do, He takes all of that junk, and he tampers with that evidence. And he turns it from a blot into love. He heals you. He restores you. He gives you new perspective, new life. So let's stand together. We're going to have the worship team lead us in some songs. And I just encourage you, if you need to come up here, come. If you need to pray right where you are, please do that. But let's just say yes to Jesus. Thanks for listening to the River City Church podcast. We'd love to hear how God is using River City Church to minister and impact lives. If you have a story to share of how God is moving in your life, send an email to amen at rivercitychurch.org. If you'd like to support our mission financially so we can continue to share messages just like these, you can give online at therivercitychurch.org give.